Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. Well, howdy! Well, uh, good morning, FaithBridge. I hope that you're doing well today. My name is Timothy Atik. I'm the director of Breakaway Ministries and College Station. Always a joy to be back at FaithBridge. Really love this church and the partnership that FaithBridge and Breakaway have had for a long time now. So it's great to see you. I want to just start by acknowledging uh, that I, I feel like Facebook does a good job of reminding us of where we have been. Like, I don't know if you realize this, but uh, at any given day, you can get on Facebook and it will show you what you were doing on this day a year ago or five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, eight years ago. It's actually a tab and sometimes it'll just throw a picture up on your your, uh, timeline or your feed and remind you on this day, five years ago, six years ago, this is where you were, this is what you were doing, this is what you looked like. And I'll just say the majority of the time, it can be really unfortunate, right? Because you're reminded of stuff like this. And that's just really uh, disappointing. And there's uh, a lot of regret. And it's like, is that a wig? No, like I chose that hair. That was a choice that I made. And I clearly didn't have any friends who loved me to tell me you need to get a haircut. So uh, anyway, the majority of the time it can be uh, really unfortunate. Um, It's interesting when you think about it, like Facebook chooses the pictures for you, like on the on this day moments, like if they put a picture on your timeline, Facebook chooses the picture. You don't choose the picture. They choose the picture for you. And I'm like, that's crazy. Like who chose that picture? Like, I want to remember that. Like, I believe that Facebook has like a shaming department. Like that's just the department. It's like, we're now hiring people who are really good at shaming people. Like you pick the pictures and it's like, yeah, that's, that's what I want. And they, uh, they give you an option. They have the audacity to ask you if you want to share this picture. Yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to remind the world of something like this. Yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to remind the world that I chose to do this and let someone document it. All right, this is, this is the beauty of... Facebook. Now, please take that down. You let it up. It'll stay up there way too long. We'll talk afterward, tech people. But anyway, um, you know, the majority of the time, these moments where we're reminded of where we've been can be really unfortunate. Yet at the same time, there's times where it can be really encouraging because when you, when I look at some stuff like that, I think to myself, praise God for maturity, like praise God for progress. Like you can look and just say, okay, growth has taken place. Things have actually changed in life. And the reason that I'm even telling you this is that I just started thinking like, what if, what if there was something like this that in some way chronicled uh, our journeys with Jesus? Like what if somehow a picture could pop up on your Facebook timeline or feed that would in some way encapsulate what your spiritual journey looked like on this day a year ago or five years ago or eight years ago. 
Like if that was true and today a picture popped up encapsulating your journey with Jesus five years ago, what would you feel seeing that picture? Like what would you feel today looking back and seeing that picture? Uh, I would imagine that many people here would feel very encouraged, like you'd be able to look back and just say, okay, thank you, Jesus, growth has taken place. You, you can look back and say, man, you've brought me so far, God, you've shown me your kindness, you've shown me your goodness, you've shown me that you've been doing a good work in me over the past year, the past five years, the past eight years. And then I wonder if for some of us, instead of being encouraged, it would feel more unfortunate than anything, and there might be some regret there. There, there might be some sadness there because uh, if you were to look back on this day a year ago or five years ago or eight years ago, it's just a reminder that no growth has really taken place. Like you're still getting beat up by the same sin, the same sin you're struggling with last year is the same sin you're struggling with this year, or the shame that you felt a few years ago for some of your past choices is the same shame that's kind of slapping you around today. And maybe you don't enjoy prayer any more today than you did five years ago. You're no more connected to God, God's word today than you were a year ago. And it feels like you have more off days with Jesus than you have on days with Jesus. That's looking into the past. Now what I want you to do is I want you to look into the future. Because we can't change who we've been, but we can change who we will be from this day forward. Just imagine... <clears throat> If a year from now or five years from now, somehow a picture that encapsulates your relationship with Jesus from today, September 30th, 2018, if that was somehow to pop up on your screen, what do you hope to feel a year from now? What do you hope to feel five years from now as you look back upon where you were at spiritually on this day? My hope is that you would feel joy and excitement and gratitude because you'd be able to look back and say, God, you have had me on this journey and you've been doing a good work in my life and I'm not where I have been. You've, you've brought me to a new place that's been full of peace and, and joy and it's, it's been full of trust and, and it's been uh, full of increasing faith because you have been carrying me along and doing a good work in my life. Here's my hope for every single person in this room, whether you're 8 or 80, my hope is that today you would hit a spiritual growth spurt. Even if you feel like your relationship with Jesus is going really well, my hope is that today would be a day when we would all together kind of hit our spiritual growth spurts. And I'll tell you where it all has to start. It all has to start with us centering our lives on the person of Jesus Christ. This week and next week, we're going to be looking at three-word statements from Jesus to us. And today, we're going to look at his three words, I am he. We're going to look at Jesus saying, I am he. And right now, those words might not be very meaningful to you, uh, but I promise you by the end, they will be. And in these words really holds the key to us taking new ground with Jesus Christ. And so uh, if you have a Bible, I want you to join me in John chapter 18 because that's where we find these three words, I am he. John chapter 18 is where we're going to be today. John chapter 18, and let me just read you the whole passage, verses 1 through 11. 
says this, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, here's our three words, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you, I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So this is clearly the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested. And uh, I think a good way to summarize the story is that it's a story about people who had been around Jesus without grasping who Jesus truly was. That is what the different people in this story are really displaying, that they had been around Jesus without grasping who Jesus truly was. My hope is that that would not be our story today, that there wouldn't be a person in here who is a who is around Jesus this morning without grasping who he truly is. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to give you three key truths that you really need to know if you want to hit a spiritual growth spurt today. The first key truth that you need to know is this. Your view of Jesus will determine your response to Jesus. This is one of the most powerful truths that anyone has ever shared with me in my life. Your view of Jesus will determine your response to Jesus. Just think about it. This is the way human relationships work. Your view of a person determines your response to that person. Like when a guy falls in love, He will do anything for that girl. Like he will spend all of his money on that girl. He'll watch any Nicholas Sparks movie with that girl. She'll be like, let's watch The Notebook. And he'll be like, I was hoping you would suggest that. That's exactly what I wanted to do tonight was watch The Notebook with you. Like he'll gladly do the whole 30 just because she thinks it's a good idea. Enjoy hating your life for 30 days, men. But that's what happens. Your view of a person will determine your response to that person. And your relationship with Jesus is no different. Your your view of Jesus will determine your response to Jesus. So if you want to have a big response to Jesus, what it will require is an ever-increasing, continuously growing view of Jesus. If you want to have a big response to Jesus, if you want to be passionate about prayer and his word and telling others about him, it has to start with your view of him. And on the flip side, If you find yourself in times where your response to Jesus is really small, you're interested in him, you have no real desire to connect with him or to be about what he is about, we can confidently say that the reason that you have a small response to him is because you have a small view of him. Your understanding of him in any given moment is so small, so unimpressive that honestly no one would want to connect 
with that Jesus. Your view of Jesus will determine your response to Jesus. Now, this is very important, so don't, want, don't miss what I'm about to tell you. What we need to realize is that our tendency is to simply focus on our response to Jesus. Like if anything needs to change, it's always our response. And so we believe that the key to a more flourishing spiritual life is discipline. So we believe the key to change is discipline. So we just tell ourselves, you know what? When the new year hits, this is going to be the year. This is going to be the year that I'm finally consistent in reading the word. Okay, so I'm going to start January 1, and I'm just going to work a lot harder. I'm going to discipline myself more. I'm going to get up earlier, and I'm going to be a lot better about getting in the Bible and praying more. Or, you know what, this sin has just been beating me up, but the key is to just get this sin out of my life. I just need to discipline myself to not struggle with this sin. Here's what you have to understand. If you go for an extended period of time where you have discipline for Jesus without delight in Jesus, meaning you have a big response with a small view, you will only make it so far before you begin to realize it's just not worth it. You can only go so long manufacturing a big response with a small view. Fix your view, it'll fix the response. If you're going to discipline yourself to do anything, discipline yourself every day to fight for the biggest view of Jesus possible because you need to know your view of Jesus is either inflating or deflating. It's never just staying the same because you have an enemy who's constantly seeking to poke holes in the balloon of your faith. And so you constantly have to be putting new oxygen into your view of Jesus Christ. Discipline yourself to fight for the biggest view of Jesus possible, and you know what will come naturally? Delight. Delight in Jesus, resulting in greater discipline in praying and reading the Word. But focus on the view, and it will fix the response. Now, let me just kind of prepare you for the times this fall when you, are, when you find yourself operating with a small view of Jesus, and that might be you right now. You might be in that place right now. One of the best things you can do when you find yourself operating with a small view is to ask this question. What have I consciously or subconsciously began to believe about Jesus Christ? What have I consciously or subconsciously begun to believe about Jesus? That's why we're reading John 18. Because what we can do is we can look at the different characters in the story and we can look at their uh, response to Jesus And we can, by looking at the response, we can begin to discern what they had consciously or subconsciously began, what they had begun to believe about Jesus. So if you want to know what you've begun to believe about Jesus, just look at your response. I mean, look into the story. Just think about Judas. What did Jesus, Judas do? What was Judas's response to Jesus? Well, Judas's response to Jesus was to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. So what does that indicate about what Judas had begun to believe about Jesus? Well, he had begun to believe that Jesus Christ just did not bring enough value to his life. 30 pieces of silver could bring more value than Jesus could. Or think about the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were the ones who who basically instigated the arrest 
of, of Jesus. What did they believe? Their response was to seek out arresting Jesus. So what does that tell us about what they had begun to believe? Well, they had begun to believe that Jesus was a rabbi gone bad. And so they needed to get rid of him. You look at Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' boys. He was handpicked to be one of the 12. He had front row seats to all of Jesus' messages and miracles. But what's Peter's response to Jesus in this story? It looks like Jesus is in trouble, so Peter pulls out a sword and he cuts a soldier's ear off. Clearly, he's a terrible bodyguard. Like, I don't know how you missed the body for the ear. But what was Peter believing? He was believing that Jesus was now in over his head, that he was overpowered, and that now Jesus needed his help to get out of this jam. You see it? If you want to know what you have begun to believe about Jesus, just look at your response to him, and it will tell you everything you need to know about what you have been believing about Jesus. I just want to be clear with you. It's possible for you to get to a point where your view of Jesus is so distorted and so misinformed that you are honestly just responding to a completely different Jesus than the Jesus of the scriptures. It's possible that you've begun responding to a Jesus that doesn't even exist. The only place that that Jesus exists is in your head because that Jesus has been manufactured by you. So here's where our three words, I am he, come into play. A good question for you to ask yourself is, would the Jesus of the scriptures look at the Jesus you're responding to now and declare, yeah, I am he. That Jesus that you're responding to, yeah, I would identify myself with that Jesus. Yeah, I am he. You've got the right Jesus. You will know when you have the right view of Jesus when you have the right response to Jesus. And that leads me to the second truth that I need you to know if you want to hit a spiritual growth spurt with Jesus. Here it is. Worship is the right response to the right Jesus. Okay? Worship is the right response to the right Jesus. There are certain people in this world that deserve certain responses. Certain people deserve certain responses. For example, you would never fist bump the Queen of England, right? You wouldn't. Because certain people deserve certain responses. Worship is the right response to the right Jesus. Not just giving Jesus one hour of your week on Sunday morning. Not just involving yourself in certain religious obligations and activities. But worship. That's the right response to the right Jesus. Now, I think we need to spend a little bit of time clarifying what worship really is because when I'm talking about worship right now, I am not talking at all right now about singing songs. That's not what I'm talking about. I think John 18 begins to get us down the road of what real worship truly is. I want to make sure you have a clear picture of what's actually happening. Uh, The band of soldiers here in John 18 18 is, is a Roman cohort. And a Roman co- cohort was estimated to be between, it was estimated to be about 600 men, okay? Commentators believe that the band of soldiers that come out to arrest Jesus was somewhere between 200 and 600 men. 
So this is not a small group of people. And we look and we can tell that these men come out expecting a fight. Like they come out with torches and weapons. Okay, They are expecting for something to go down with Jesus. Okay, That was their expectation. Now, when they come out to meet Jesus, Jesus actually comes out to meet them. And he asks them a question. Whom do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And what's his response? Our three words, I am he. And their, uh, their automatic response to Jesus' words, I am he, was that they drew back and they fell to the ground. They didn't choose to do that. That's just what their bodies did upon hearing Jesus say, I am he. So before Jesus let these men carry him away, arrest him, and take him away, Jesus Christ made them fall before him. And here's why that's so important, because the Hebrew word that we have translated worship literally means to fall down or to bow down. And I love that because it's like Jesus is saying, hey, before I let you arrest me and take me away, I just need you to taste the response that I'm actually worthy of, which is for you to fall before me. Because that's what Jesus is worthy of. He is always worthy of worship. And this idea of falling kind of gets us down the road of what worship truly is. See, Falling on your knees before God is really great. And I would encourage you to spend time praying on your knees. But falling on your knees is really just supposed to be an outward display of an inward reality. See, worship is truly not a position of the body, but a position of the heart before Jesus. It's a position of the heart before Jesus that leads to a lifestyle, not a worship service, but a lifestyle of adoration and devotion to Jesus. It's an outward display of an inward reality. I want you to just think, when you bow down on your knees, what can't you do when you're on your knees? You can't chase after other things. When you get down on your knees, you stop chasing after other things. You can't give yourself to other things. When you get down on your knees, you're basically, it's a position of submission saying, Jesus Christ, I am bowing myself before you. Worship is the position of the heart where you say, Jesus, I'm not chasing after other things because I have found the one true thing that my soul is truly satisfied in. You, Jesus, are the object of my affection. You are the one that my soul has been looking for. Now that I have found you, I submit myself before you. And worship is really the response of sight. When you see Jesus for who he truly is, your response is adoration and devotion. It's a response to sight. Now, if there's a lack of worship in your life, if, if worship is the right response to the right Jesus and there's a lack of response in your life to Jesus, then I think a good conclusion is that in this moment, at least, you're responding to the wrong Jesus. 
Like it brings us back to the question, would the Jesus of scriptures look at the Jesus you're responding to and declare, yeah, I am he. Because if you're uninterested or if you're bored or you're unmoved, I would imagine that you've just got a distorted or misinformed Jesus at play in your life. So before you can worship, you have to go to war. Before there's worship, there must be war. And what I would encourage you to do is to take a page out of the playbook of Buddy the Elf. You guys know who Buddy the Elf is from what I believe is the greatest Christmas movie of all time, Elf? Okay? Let me just remind you of a scene from the movie Elf. Check it out. You guys remember this? Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Santa here? I know him. I know him. He'll be here to take pictures with all the children. Yeah! Just keep your receipts. 10 a.m. tomorrow. 10 a.m. tomorrow. Santa's coming to town. Yes. Can you sign this for me? Oh, hi. Santa's coming. I love that. You know what that is? That's the right response to the right Santa. Because Buddy the Elf hears that Santa is coming at 10 a.m. tomorrow, and he is like, Santa, 10 a.m. tomorrow. I know him. I know him. That is the right response to the right Santa. So what does Buddy the Elf do? If you've seen the movie, he stays up all night. I think he gets 45 minutes of sleep, which for him was a good night's sleep. But he stays up all night transforming Gimbal's department store into the North Pole. He creates a model of Manhattan out of Legos. He creates handmade snowflakes that he hangs from the ceiling. He writes the North Pole in light brights. But 10 a.m. rolls around. You guys remember what happens? Santa shows up. Buddy, Buddy the Elf takes a look at Santa. He gets up in Santa's face, and you know what he says? He says, you're a liar. <laughs> he says, you smell like beef and cheese. The real Santa doesn't smell like beef and cheese. And what does Buddy the Elf do? He, he lays the smack down on that fake Santa. They destroy the store going to war. And I think about that. And I just think, you know what? Some of you guys need to realize your Jesus smells like beef and cheese. <laughs> and it's time for you to lay the beat down on the wrong Jesus so that you can be freed up to worship the one true Jesus Christ. Worship is the right response to the right Jesus. The third key truth you need to know if you want to hit a spiritual growth spurt is this. Worship happens when investigation leads to adoration. That's when worship happens. That's the pathway to worship. Worship happens when investigation, which is, a, which is a conscious decision, this takes effort. You don't just fall into worship. You don't just wake up in the morning worshiping. Worship takes a conscious decision 
of investigation, and that investigation results in adoration. So just think about John 18. The soldiers begin to come out to Jesus, and I love the story because what it shows us is that Jesus actually goes out to them. He doesn't wait for them to get to him. He goes out to them, and what's his question? He says, whom do you seek? And their response is, Jesus of Nazareth. And to that, Jesus says, yeah, I am he. I am Jesus of Nazareth. And so as I read that, it prompted me to do some investigation. I made a conscious decision to get online, Bible Gateway. And I just typed in Jesus of Nazareth because I was like, okay, in this story, Jesus is saying, I am he to the label Jesus of Nazareth. And so if there's a Jesus we're going to worship, it's going to be Jesus of Nazareth. And so uh, who is Jesus of Nazareth? And as I researched all the different times in Scripture where Jesus is referred to as Jesus of Nazareth, you know what it did? It expanded my view of Jesus. Investigation led to adoration. So let's just be clear. If you're not responding to Jesus of Nazareth, you're responding to the wrong Jesus. Who is Jesus of Nazareth? Who is Jesus of Nazareth? Well, let me just give you a few things, and this is just scraping the surface of who our Jesus is. But here we go. Jesus of Nazareth is more. Jesus of Nazareth is more. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. Jesus of Nazareth has always been and will always be more than you will ever think him to be. Listen to what John 1.45 says. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, Here's why this is so important. I think that we know that the New Testament is all about Jesus. But what this is telling us is that the entire Old Testament is about Jesus of Nazareth as well. The entire Bible all points to Jesus. Jesus is the point of every page in the scriptures. If you don't believe me, let me just show you what I'm talking about with the help of a great resource out right now called the Jesus Bible. Here's Jesus on every page of the scriptures. In Genesis, Jesus is our glorious creator. Exodus, our miraculous deliverer. Leviticus, he's the high priest. Numbers, he's the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's our promised hope. In Joshua, he's our perfect leader. In Judges, he's our righteous ruler. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. In 1st and 2nd Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In Ezra, he's our hope for return. In Nehemiah, he's our rebuilder of the broken. Re, rebuilder of the broken. In Esther, he's our divine advocate. In Job, he's our suffering savior. Psalms, he's my shepherd and I shall not want. In Proverbs, he's our divine wisdom. Ecclesiastes, our true hope. Song of Solomon, our deepest companion. In Isaiah, he's the suffering servant. Jeremiah, our new covenant. Lamentations, our faithful Lord. Ezekiel, our true temple. And Daniel, he's the fourth man in the midst of a fiery furnace. And Hosea, he's my love that is forever faithful. And Joel, he's our blessed hope. Amos, our burden bearer. Obadiah, our righteous judge. 
In Jonah, he's our missionary God. Micah, our compassionate king. Nahum, our wrath bearer. In Habakkuk, he's the watchman that's praying for revival. In Zephaniah, he's our Lord mighty to save. In Haggai, he's our main priority. Zechariah, our faithful fountain. In Malachi, he's our coming Messiah. In Matthew, he's our promised king. Mark, our miracle worker. Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's our great I am. In Acts, our continued mission. In Romans, he's our eternal salvation. In 1 Corinthians, he's our hope for change. 2 Corinthians, our invitation to repentance. In Galatians, he's our justification by faith. In Ephesians, he's our peace with God. In Philippians, he's our joy in suffering. In Colossians, he's our head of all things. In 1 Thessalonians, he's our source of comfort. 2 Thessalonians, our coming king. In First and Second Timothy, he's the mediator between God and man. Titus, our great God and Savior. In Philemon, he's our friend that sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he's our greater sacrifice. In James, he's our perfect example. First and Second Peter, our chief shepherd. First, Second, and Third John, our word of life and love. Jude, our sustaining grace and revelation. Our worship forever. This is Jesus. This is our Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. Here's what this means for you. If you ever find yourself bored or uninterested or unmoved by Jesus, you've got the wrong Jesus because you can spend all of eternity searching the scriptures for Jesus and what you will find are unending pleasures forevermore because that is who our Jesus is. Jesus of Nazareth is more. He is always more than you will ever think him to be. Second, our Jesus of Nazareth is the way to freedom. Anyone here today want to break free from whatever seems to be shackling you? Jesus of Nazareth is our way to freedom. Mark 1, 24 and 25 says this. Jesus is casting out a demon, and the demon talks back to Jesus and says this, What have you to do with us? Who? Jesus of Nazareth. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, is the one who always has the power to break any and every chain in your life. Just Think about whatever is making you feel helpless or defeated. Jesus Christ has the power to do something about it. Many of you are going to begin to sing a new song over the next few weeks, next few months, next few years. Because Jesus of Nazareth is the one who has broken you free from your need for approval or your tendency to look at inappropriate images on the internet or your addiction to substance abuse or your tendency to outbursts of anger. Whatever it is for you, Jesus of Nazareth is our way to freedom. Next, he is the Prince of Peace. You know what Judas and the other people in the story failed to realize about Jesus of Nazareth? when they came out to arrest him, the thing that they failed to realize was that Jesus of Nazareth was in control of everything from start to finish. Just think about it. In verse 1 of chapter 18, he went to a garden to begin a reversal of what happened in a different garden all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. In verse 2, Jesus went to a place that he knew Judas would know. And would be able to find him. So Jesus wasn't 
on the run. He was on a mission. In verse 4, Jesus knew what was coming. So what did he do? He initiated with the soldiers. He didn't wait for them to find him. He goes to them and says, yeah, hey, who are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth? Yeah, I am he. I'm here. He initiates with them. And then in verse 8, he lets the soldiers get up. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth? I am he. And they fell before him. And he lets them get up. We know he lets them get up because they get to arrest him after he once again says, wait, who are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth. I already told you I am he. Why are you on the ground? I'm the one. He lets them get up. In verse 9, he ensured the safety of his friends, not just in that moment, but for all of eternity. Jesus was in control from start to finish. Jesus is in control of your life from start to finish to finish. Some of you this morning are going to experience a peace that surpasses all understanding because you're finally going to allow Jesus to be in control of what's going on in your life. See, life is one continuous occurrence of you wanting control but not being able to have it. So just think about the areas of life where you want control but can't have it right now. Maybe your marriage isn't shaping up how you wanted it to shape up. Maybe your kids aren't turning out the way that you wanted them to turn out. Maybe, maybe uh, an issue at work has, has really brought a lot of anxiety into your life. Maybe your finances are a huge struggle right now. See, the reason that you keep insisting on shouldering your stress and your anxiety is because your view of Jesus is too small. The reason that you're shouldering your anxiety is because you're believing that Jesus can't show up and do something that you can't do. You're failing to realize that his shoulders are much stronger than yours. Jesus Christ is committed to being present in your life in the midst of whatever is going on. And so would you let him step in and be your prince of peace? Jesus of Nazareth is more. Jesus of Nazareth is our way to freedom. Jesus of Nazareth is the prince of peace. And last, Jesus of Nazareth is the Savior. Jesus of Nazareth is the Savior. I don't know if you saw in verse 11... But he tells Peter, he says, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Jesus talks about a cup that he is going to drink. Here's what we need to understand. Jesus Christ drank the cup of wrath so that we could drink the cup of salvation. That is what Jesus Christ has done for us. He stepped out of heaven and into earth on a rescue mission to drink the cup of wrath that we deserved to drink. See, we all have to come to the understanding that we have been created by Jesus Christ. If we have been created by Jesus, then what that means is God doesn't exist for us, we exist for him. The reason that each of us exists is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. But has anyone brought the glory that is rightfully that Jesus Christ rightfully deserves? Has anyone given him the honor that he deserves? Has anyone given Jesus the obedience that he truly deserves? The answer is no. 
Not one of us has measured up. Not one of us has met God's standard of perfection. We have all fallen short, and the scriptures are clear. The wages of sin is death. We don't naturally deserve God's blessing or his favor or his love. What we naturally deserve is God's wrath and punishment. But Jesus came and was punished so that we wouldn't have to be. Jesus Christ endured wrath that was rightfully ours. He drank the cup of wrath so that we could drink the cup of salvation. What does it mean to drink the cup of salvation? It is to come to a place where you realize who Jesus is and what he has done. He is Jesus of Nazareth. He is always more. He is our path to freedom. He is the one who is the Prince of Peace who can calm the storm of sin threatening to separate us from God for all of eternity. Why? Because he is the Savior. Do you know him? Do you know him? I'll close this morning by circling back to how I started a year from now. Five years from now, if somehow a picture encapsulating your spiritual journey with Jesus on this day, September 30th, 2018, could somehow pop up on the screen, what do you want to feel in that moment? You want to feel joy? You want to feel peace? You want to be encouraged? That's my hope for you. That's my hope for all of us that we would one day be able to look back to this day and feel great amounts of encouragement. Why? Because on this day, we begin to realize that our view of Jesus will determine our response to Jesus. On this day, our response began to increase because our view of Jesus began to increase. On this day, worship became something more normal in our lives. It became something more of a consistent response because we found ourselves responding to the right Jesus. And on this day, we began to commit ourselves to deeper amounts of investigation that led to adoration because on this day, we began to realize that our Jesus is Jesus of Nazareth, the one who declares, I am he. Let's pray together. Well, Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are. And I just declare this morning that you are Jesus of Nazareth. You are more than we will ever know you to be. Forgive us this morning, God, for our small views of you and our small responses to you, God. We're, we're clear today that our view of you will determine our response to you. So, Lord, give us bigger views. Give us bigger responses, Lord. Lead us into worship of you, Lord. I pray that worship would become our more natural response to who you are, Lord God. Lord, I pray for greater encounters of investigation that lead to adoration, Lord God. I just pray for more, Lord God. I pray that each of us in one way or another would hit a spiritual growth spurt with you today. Take us deeper, Lord God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. 
Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Welcome to Postscript. I'm Dan Slagle, one of the pastors here at Faith Bridge, and today we were very blessed to have a great sermon from Timothy Atik, one of two that he's going to be bringing us on the person of Jesus. Today's message was entitled, I Am He. Great clip from Elf. I think that yeah. <laughs> really connected with a lot of people. Um, you're probably aware that in another of Will Ferrell's movies, he actually takes up the issue of the real Jesus. Uh, Ricky Bobby uh, <laughs> prefers to pray to the baby Jesus, whereas his buddy prefers to pray to the big Jesus. Uh, that's a, a silly take, of course, on a very important question, namely, who is the real Jesus? And, mm -hmm. and how can a person who genuinely wants to pursue him have a, a confidence that, yeah, this... Uh, this is the right one uh, that I'm going for here, the one that Timothy spoke of in his message, the one that the Scriptures in, in every page of the Bible speaks of. Yeah. Well, um, great question. I think that, um, you know, what you have to realize and, and what everyone has to realize is that you have an enemy in this world, and his goal, and I said this especially during the second hour, his goal is to punch holes in in your understanding of who Jesus is. And so you, you have to remember that in this world, there are lies coming at you constantly about who Jesus is. Yet God has given us his word to show us exactly who Jesus is. So a good question to ask yourself is, is my mind having more exposure to truth or to lies? Ah. If, if you're not engaging with the word of God at all, then we can confidently say that you're being exposed to more lies than truth. And so if you're not having any engagement with the Word of God, then, then the chances of your understanding of Jesus being distorted or misinformed are extremely high. Sure. So that's why if there's any reason to, to, to be engaged with the Word of God, it's to make sure that you do encounter the one true Jesus. And I, I tried to make that clear that Jesus shows up from page, you know, from Genesis to Revelation. Right. And so one of the best things you can do is anytime you read the Word of God is to not end your time until you've answered the question, what does this tell me about Jesus? Mm. That's a very simple exercise, but if you want to know if you're dealing with the with the true Jesus, then read the Word of God and answer the question, what does this tell me about Jesus? And in whatever the scriptures say, that's what goes. You don't you don't take it and filter it through your own understanding or through right. your own preferences. Your preferences have to bow to, you know, what has been clearly stated about Jesus in in the Word of God. And and that trickles all the way down through his commands that if he if he calls you to do something, you do it. It's it's not your job to then sift it through your filter and say, well, that seems radical. I want to do something that seems less radical. No, yeah. because you do it, that's not radical. That's normal. Sure. You know, that's the normal Christian life. So yeah. the, your best chance of knowing the true Jesus is by 
engaging with the Word of God and what it says about Him. Sure, that that sets very clear parameters yeah. on, on your search. And I think also, once you have submitted yourself to those parameters, uh, you can have a confidence that He's more interested in finding you even than you are in finding Him. Absolutely. I mean, he, he's not going to play hide-and-seek yeah. with you. And so if, if you're pursuing Him through the Word, yeah, not, not much doubt He's going to yeah. be found. Yeah, that's right. Good, good. Yeah. Hey, you've gotten us off to a great start. Thanks so much. Really looking forward to next week. And we'll look forward to seeing you next week as well. Thanks for joining us for PostScript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.